Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 4. Paul is entering into a section of application. And as I mentioned a week ago, whenever you start applying is when we start squirming. Get a little squirmy in our seats and get a little distracted in our minds. And I want to encourage us not to do that. I want to encourage us to really sit at the feet of the Lord and to hear what He has to say and to hear how He applies these things in our hearts and lives and really walk away different at the beginning of 2023. I want to read Ephesians 4 verses 17 through 21. Paul writes, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the fertility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as the truth is in Jesus." It is absolutely critical for believing people not only to recognize New Testament commands and New Testament exhortations, not only to recognize perhaps what is right or what is wrong in our service for the Lord, but it is as important for us to recognize old patterns of thinking. If there is one area that I would write down as at the top of the list, if not the number one top of the list, is a failure of American believers to recognize that transformation begins in your thought life. We think that transformation merely is conformity to serving God. And of course, serving God is important, isn't it? There are things that we are to be doing one to another. There's a vast majority of Christian people who think that conformity... to the will of God means that I change certain external standards in my life. That if I just change those standards, then I am completely pleasing to the Lord. And there is no doubt that there are certain external standards that believers need to change. No doubt about those two things. But what we fail to recognize is that for we as New Testament believers, to be pleasing to God, it begins in the spirit of our minds. I want to show you that. Look at verse 17 here. It says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk, that's your behavior, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the fertility of of their mind. Does everybody see that? Now look down at verse 23 when he talks about putting on the new man. He says that we as New Testament believers are to be renewed in the spirit of your of your mind. 
And folks, this is entirely in agreement with what Proverbs exhorts us in the wisdom of God. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. What's going on internally in our souls is of the utmost priority. The rest of it is flowing out of what is going on in our hearts. And folks, you know and I know that you can be doing all kinds of good things for God and be ungodly while you're doing that. You could clean the church. You could pass out tracts. You could actually witness where what is going on in your heart is ungodly. Why would I say that? Because, folks, in the Old Testament, the prophets continually brought that up. You're drawing near to me with your mouth, but your what is far from me? Your heart is far from me, and the heart is expressed in what we are thinking, what is going on internally. We can look like a believer, We can attend the places that believers might go. We can have all those types of external standards and yet be ungodly people. Now the danger is, you say, well, then serving God and having certain standards is not important. I'm not saying that. I'm aiming for us to understand that the battleground is internal. It is inside of each one of us so that we might be thinking God's thoughts after Him so the desires of our heart are discernible. Not every desire of our heart is good. And the Bible itself says concerning those desires that proceed out of the flesh... And folks, when I say desires that proceed out of the flesh, please don't dismiss that by saying, oh, well, that's adultery or homosexuality. Well, that is a desire of the flesh. I'm talking about things like unkind speech, non-edifying speech, coarse jesting, coarse type of speech, Not having a tender heart. Does everybody hear what I'm saying there? These are things that are going on where? Inside of us. And we can come to a church service and we can can put on this front for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, three hours, and then during the course of the week, we are absolutely a mess. Because we are walking just as the Gentiles walk in the fertility of their what? Of their mind. And folks, if you really take this seriously, and I really hope you do, because I find that when I preach on this, I get a little, you know, big eyes, first of all, like really... And then I get kind of dismissive, and then there's an agreement, and then we just go on and not be changed. But if you really take up this, you will find it is an atomic battle. (laughs) It is an atomic battle for us to do what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, And that is to lasso every thought. Did you hear what the text is exhorting us? Every thought. You mean like everyone? Answer? Yes. Into captivity of Christ. Every thought. 
And folks, that really is the battle. And that is why I want to preach to you this morning on this topic. A believer's no longer walk. A believer's no longer walk. Now when he begins in chapter 4, verse 17... And he says that we are to walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. And he states in that passage, almost not with an oath, but he really strengthens this. He just doesn't say as he did in chapter 4 and verse 1, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you or exhort you or come alongside of you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. He comes along and says, look, I am giving witness like I'm on a court stand. And I am giving witness, and when you ask me this question, what does the Lord, what did the Lord actually say about this? And I'm, I have taken an oath to tell the truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Paul says, I'm telling you exactly what the Lord said. He said, don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the fertility of their mind. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, you would think that The Lord could have just said to this church, I mean, was the Ephesian church a good church? It was a good church. That He wouldn't have had to add that second type of witness, but He did. Folks, He has already mentioned this previously in the book of Ephesians. And I want you to look at, it may only be one page back, in your Bibles, but I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2 and look at the first three verses. He says here, past tense, that we as believers were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which, that is, in the trespasses and sins, you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of who? Disobedience. Disobedience. Among them we too, he includes the Jew, formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest." This is our former life. Whether you're religious or whether you're non-religious, this is how you walked. You walked according to the course of this age. Now I want to bring out two things to remind us here. Number one, The walk that Paul is mentioning here is a walk and a life that is separated from God. Does everybody see that? This is a walk apart from God. This is a life in trespasses and sins. This is a life of which the wrath of God is coming upon. This walk and behavior is characterized by being part of the age in which we are living. We're not living in the 1700s. We're not living in the 1800s. We're not even living in the 1900s. We're living the course of this age as is presently going on. And folks, the age emphasis, the world's emphasis changes as it progresses through human history to the summation of Christ. It is called the sons of disobedience. This is their attitude toward God. Disobeying is their default walk, whether they're doing it voluntarily or involuntarily. 
They are in disobedience. And the Scripture says, if you look at verse 3, they are by nature children of wrath, even as others. And Paul's going to repeat this in chapter 5. Look at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of what? Disobedience. Secondly, this walk is according to our own desires. It is from the lust of our flesh. And folks, if you listen carefully to the messages that the world is communicating to you all the time, you will find out that what they are encouraging for you to do is to follow the desires of your flesh. Not only is that walk according to our own desires, that is the lust of our flesh, but that walk has a mindset. It talks about the wills of the flesh and of our thoughts. The world has a certain mindset about it. And then thirdly, it has energizing it. Folks, walking according to their own desires, having a worldly mindset, living a life separated from God that is in accordance to the age of this world, it has power behind it. It is the spirit of this age. Isn't it amazing how quickly fallen men and women are motivated by the spirit of this age to actually be sacrificial in fulfilling all of those desires. They will actually kill themselves to do this. And we know, do we not, that the wages of sin is it's death. It's physical death and it is the second death that is spiritually. Now folks, as we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, do we understand that this is not how you learn Christ? In other words, folks, when you got saved, when you were genuinely converted, you got saved because you wanted to be saved from something. Right? And folks, the mistake today is it's not just being saved from the penalty of sin. It's being saved from the real problem. Sin. That's the real problem. And that's what you and I need to be saved from. We need to be saved, someone has worded it this way, from sin and self. That's why we come to Christ. So why in the world would we take that and then morph Christianity into some form of justifying people's walk like the Gentiles walk as if that's okay. It's not okay. And if anybody has come to Christ because they truly wanted to be saved from their sins, they know that's not okay. They don't want that anymore. They want genuine deliverance. So Paul has already talked about the way we formerly walked. All of those are past tense verbs. And so now he comes in into Ephesians chapter 4 and he says, look, 
Don't walk like they walk in the fertility of your mind. Now folks, as we go through this, you're going to find out that if you have any Christian maturity about you, that you're going to say, yes, that's exactly the way I live my life. I live my life in the futility of my mind. The word futility, futility here means aimlessness, a transitoriness. If we were going to word it in the words of Ecclesiastes, we would say the vanity of our minds. And of course, you know Solomon writes by divine inspiration, it's all what? It's all vanity. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. And that's the way it is when you look at things under the sun. It's all transitory. It's all empty. It's all aimless. Now folks, I want to bring some things out of here to re-emphasize for us five things. Number one, the source of our wall comes out of the spirit of our mind. You ever known someone who professes Christ and then it seems like all of a sudden they go back into the things of the world? And you say to yourself, I don't understand how that could happen so fast. It didn't happen that fast. What you didn't see, what was going on where? In their mind, their heart, their thinking. This is the way parents are sometimes. I've had to deal with parents whose children went wayward. And they would say to me, I don't understand. My children came to church. My children stood up and sang the songs of Zion. They quoted Bible verses. They participated in activities. They seemed to be delighting in all these things. And lo and behold, they've left home and they're doing things that mom and dad never taught them. It's because something was going on in their heart and in their minds. Years ago, here in this church, there was a youth group. And I found out accidentally that the youth group was saying to each other, once I leave this church, I'm not doing any of this anymore. But the church thought the youth group was very spiritual because they were doing things and participating in things and acting in activities and going to camps and, quote, making decisions. But in their hearts, they had different attitudes and different thoughts. Folks, it all begins in our minds. And I want you to turn back to Romans chapter 8. And I just want to show you this transformation that goes on when a person gets saved, when the Spirit of God comes inside of them. Paul is writing to a people that are genuinely believing They are now having to deal with the sufferings of life. They are also now having to deal with their sinful nature. And Paul says, look, verse 2, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 4, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Everybody see the dichotomy there. Now note verse 5. 
For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Does everybody see that? That's one side of the coin. A mindset on the flesh. Then it says, for those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit understood set their minds on the things of the the Spirit. So you see those two things there. Now folks, he's not contrasting a carnal Christian with a spiritual Christian. He's contrasting the lost and how they think to a genuine believer. Now note verse 6. For the mind set on the flesh is death or condemnation. But the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is what toward God? Hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Folks, there is a mindset of the flesh. It is hostile toward God. When God sees your thoughts, it is hostile to God. Your thoughts are hostile to God. It is not submissive to God. So folks, submission begins where? in the spirit of our mind or our heart. That's where submission begins. And a mindset on the flesh cannot, cannot, cannot please God no matter what kind of, quote, activities you are doing, no matter what kind of standards that you may have or have not. It's what's going on internally in our heart and in our mind. Folks, I, could, I think I'm safe to say this. Your mindset advertises your heart. Your mindset advertises your heart. And if your mind is habitually set on the course of this age, that's what gives you a delight, that's what you love. If your mindset is like that, it is telling and it is dangerous. It's not innocent. It's dangerous because you are not pleasing God. Secondly, as we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, what we note in verse 18 is, is that their minds possess a continual darkening of understanding. A continual darkening of understanding. Folks, when children are born into this world, do they recognize their gender? No. Well, some of you are thinking, well, not when they first come out of the womb, right? I'm not talking about that. Four or five year old? They have to have their understanding darkened to reject that. Everybody see that? Children, generally, 
Girls go toward dolls and houses and babies and things like that. Guys go to guns and, you know, killing each other and things like that. <laughs> Girls tendency go to, generally go to no risk-taking. Guys, they're like, you know, I could climb up on this roof and jump off. That'd be amazing. <laughs> My point is, is that our young people are experiencing a continual darkening of understanding. That whatever light of conscience that they have, the world is busy bringing greater depths of darkness. Now, they're born dark with darkness. Their eyes are blinded to the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But there is a continual darkening that is going on. And folks, the world is working on that every moment 24-7. John 3 says that men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Romans 1.18 says that men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. 2 Corinthians says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Why? So that they might not see the light. This continual darkening that is going on in the lives of people. That's what's going on in the world right now. That may be what's going on in your heart if, you're, if you don't know the Lord. Thirdly, their minds are continually being darkened through the ignorance that is in them. Everybody hear that? <clears throat> Folks, it's the ignorance uh, that is in them. What do I mean to be ignorant of something? I mean to be unaware of something. They're unaware of it. That unawareness or that ignorance could be involuntary. When you think about people, we always talk about people in the deepest, darkest places where the gospel has not reached. Their hearts are darkened through the ignorance that is in them and it's involuntary. They've not been exposed to the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in the Gospel, right? We have people in America, young people who are being raised right now, no understanding at all. I run into people that don't even know that Christmas is about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But there's also a voluntary aspect. And folks, that's when they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It's not that they aren't aware of it. They are aware of it. And then if you go to them and give them the truth, basically what they say to you is, I don't want to hear it. Right? They may yell at you. They may ignore you. They may just walk away. But the fact is, they don't want to hear it and they don't want to retain it in their minds. It is an ignorance. It is, as I wrote in my notes here, man choosing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil every day. They would rather know evil than know God. They would rather experience the darkness of evil than to know life eternal. It is a daily choice that they have. Now folks, they are being darkened in their understanding. <clears throat> excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And the result of this is out of this type of heart. 
a hard heart. It says, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their what? Of their heart. What is a hard heart? A hard heart is an obstinate heart. It's a stubborn heart. It's a dullness of heart. Folks, it is a heart that is not responsive to God. And I know you've used this phrase before, well, I witnessed to them, but it was like water off of a duck's back. It just runs off. It doesn't penetrate at all. There's no movement in them to the treasure and the riches of Christ. There's no desire to be in their Bible to really know God and to love Him. There's no desire to truly understand the Bible. They just grab certain verses here and there that tends to help them. It's like the marathoner who has on his shirt, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That verse doesn't have anything to do about marathoning. Nothing. They have no desire for the wisdom of Christ. And folks, here's the thing. When they encounter a genuine believer, it boggles their minds that someone could give themselves to such a thing. You go to church? Oh yeah, I go, I go three times. Three times a week? Well, I read my Bible every day. You read your Bible? You've got to be a legalist. You desire to pray? What are you praying about? I mean, I can get through my list in you know a minute. In fact, I don't even have to pray unless someone has a heart attack on a football field. <laughs> and then all of a sudden we're all what? But Proverbs says that God says you wouldn't hear me when I called. I won't hear you when you call. And folks, at best, when they meet you and they hear you, at best, it, it does bring them some guilt and they don't want to have guilt because the world's told them that that's bad. But at worst, they look at you and laugh at you. You're a fool. You're a fool to give money to the church. You're, you're a fool to do all these things. I mean, you could have had some nice things. That's flowing out of a hard heart. It's flowing out of an ignorant heart. A heart that is continually being darkened by their own choices and beliefs. And folks, the end result of that is this. Look at verse 19. They have become callous. This refers to a deadness. It's one thing to have a hard heart. It's another thing to have a heart that is callous, that is cauterized, that is dead to the knowledge and consciousness of God. It's one thing to be seared in your conscience. Folks, you know what it is. If you sear something, it no longer has feeling. It's not responsive. 
It can sit there. My mother used to look at me and she would say, listen to me, don't act like a bump on a log. What was she saying? You're just totally dead. You're hearing me, but you're not hearing me. Bumps on a log have no response. But it's there. And folks, people can be brought up in church. It's amazing to me to hear some of the things of people that have been raised in good churches and go out on their own and to hear them talk. It is amazing. You scratch your head and you wonder, where were they for 15 years? Callous is where they were. Now folks, this is not how we are to walk. We're to be sensitive to the truth. We're to be responsive to the light. We're not to have a darkened understanding. We're to walk in the light of the glory of God. We're to walk in the light as He is in the light. Amen? That's how we're to be walking. Not only have they walk in the aimlessness or the futility of their mind. But folks, secondly, they do this. They hand themselves over to sensuality. You'll see that in verse 19. They having become callous, this is what they do, have given themselves over to sensuality. The result of this type of mindset is that people hand themselves over. And this doesn't make sense, does it? They hand themselves over to slavery, to their sinful behaviors. Did you notice here in this passage it says, have given themselves over. Who gave themselves over to sensuality? They did. And folks, in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, God says that God gives them over. So who is it? What is it? Is it God giving them over to sensuality? Or is it them giving themselves over to sensuality? The answer is yes. Man chooses to hand himself over and God judicially judges that choice of heart by giving themselves over to it. It's a slavery. And I've said this many times. Many of you were raised in Christian homes. I thank God for that. There are doors of sinful behavior you have never entertained. May you never entertain them. You will never have a battle with it. And there are others of us, including myself, that was not raised in a Christian home. We were not raised in accordance to the truth. And I have all kinds of doors of sinful behavior that in many times I can go into prayer and I can see and hear things that happened in my youth. And it grieves me with all my heart. And you've got to battle it to even get it out of your mind. Man did not retain God in his knowledge. God gave them over. And folks, we're just not talking about sensuality. We're talking about things like things that are acceptable today. Divorce and remarriage. Romantic dating. 
world says these things are okay, and in the church, some churches, they even facilitate it. And wonder why their young people get in trouble. What do I mean when I say sensuality? I'm talking about your feelings. The motions of your heart that result in your feelings. And folks, people will tell you that they are making their judgments according to their feelings all the time. They will ask you, how do you feel about it? They're asking you to consult your God. Your God is your feelings. Even believing people can say, well, surely this can't be of God because I don't feel right about it. The t- Folks, it's not about our feelings. I can assure you that if you get the things of the Spirit, if you get the Word engrafted in your heart to where your heart is being conformed in the image of Christ, godly feelings will come. But we still don't make the decision by the feelings. Your feelings are deceptive. They are deceitful lust. This shows in Every area of our lives. How people choose their dress. Right or wrong? Yes. How people choose their music. You give them good music and they say, Oh, I don't like that. If I don't like it, then it can't be right for me. Folks, if there is <clears throat> spiritual songs, is are there spiritual songs? Then there are also unspiritual songs. And it's not just the words. It's the vehicle in which those words are conveyed. And the move today is to take the sensual sound of the world and combine it with good words. And it is deceiving God's people. And then we sit back in these big ministries in which they're doing that and we scratch our heads. Well, they, they, had, they had all this music, this contemporary music where they wedded great words and doctrine with with, the, with this great music, music that I like. And then you find out their leaders have been committing adultery for five years. Why is that? Well, it's not the music. The music was an outflow of what was going on in their hearts. Folks, your sinful nature will love sensual music. Your media choices. Isn't there a great curiosity to always know everybody's opinion? To know everything that's going on out there? Our choices in entertainment. Our vocational choices. But folks, Paul's going to apply this in the area of our speech. Worldly, Gentile walking type of speech. People consult their feelings about what church to attend. They consult their feelings about the aims of life. And folks, they are enslaved to this. Isn't it amazing that an alcoholic can say, I can give this up anytime I want to. Then why don't you? Mm-hmm. 
and they'll say, I don't want to. <laughs> They're enslaved. Why does an angry person refuse to be angry? Because they're enslaved to their anger. And folks, what occurs when this happens, if you look at verse 19, is the practice of every kind of impurity with greed. Now I want to make application for us in the area of our speech. Vulgarity is sinful. Euphemistic speech is sinful. He's going to talk about it later on in chapter 5. Look at what it says. It says, verse 3, But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper to the saints, and there must be no filthiness and what type of talk? Silly, Silly talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting. And we'll go in detail when we get there. Hopefully you won't choose to miss that service. <laughs> But I am hearing personally more and more impure, coarse, worldly slang speech among people who profess Christ. And I, I really, really have debated whether or not to make the applications that are necessary because... Folks, some of these things, when I even think them, my spirit just has a sharp pain go through it. You say, what is that? That's called grieving the Holy Spirit. And I only want to bring up four. There is still an abundance of believing people who use the phrase, Oh my God. It is a euphemism. It is a religious slang for something else. It is sinful to take the name of the Lord your God in, in vain. It is sinful. I hear Christian people. Some of them are aware, as my wife reminds me, most people aren't even aware that these are sins. They will use something like this. My goodness. Goodness is used in place of God. God is what? It's a euphemism. It is evil. You should not hear it from a believer. Now these next two, I have wrestled on even how to say it, and I've determined I'm not going to say it. I'm going to spell it. Because I think by spelling it, even though you'll know what the word is in your mind, it won't have the same impact as if I say it. I hear more and more from professing people using the phrase S-C-R-E-W. It, or I've been. I know you young people don't know this, but I lived in the generation where that term was originated. And I know what it means. 
it should not be in your heart or mind. It is a substitute for even for even coarser debased language. I hear more and more from Christian people using this S-U-C-K-S. This I came from the generation. I know what that means. It is abomination. And folks, we can pick up these phrases involuntarily. Why do I say that? It's the course of this age. If there's one thing this age is doing, it's debasing our language. People don't even talk in sentences anymore. Everything's abbreviated. It's like you've got to learn a third language. <laughs> now don't walk away from here and say, Pastor Jones is against abbreviations. No, I'm not. Don't walk out of here and say, Pastor Jones is against emojis. I use some sometimes. <laughs> but I will say, if you send me a quote sentence and it's all emojis, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> and I have no desire to learn Egyptian hieroglyphics in order to be able to determine it. Folks, I have given you these examples and it's not exhaustive. And in giving you those examples, I have been grieved. But I have given them to you so that you will not sin. Amen. I wish, I wish I would hear a believer say, I'm praying for revival. And my life isn't what it needs to be. I might be in the way of God-given revival coming. How? I'm not thankful. You ever heard that? No, I've never heard that. I've heard things like, you're not doing this, or you're not doing that, or you're not doing this. He says, stop this language, but rather be thankful. And if you're thankful, you're not going to use core speech. You're not going to use worldly slang. And folks, if you use it once, you've opened a door. And you'll use it again. And let me tell you where you need to stop it. In your mind. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? So stop it in your heart first. And folks, the world does this with greediness. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? It's just like a drug. They've got to have more and more and more and more. The boy reaches over and touches the hand of his girlfriend. And they walk hand in hand. I don't know of any place in the Bible where it says to walk hand in hand is sinful. Do you? But there's greediness. Did everybody hear that? There's greediness in the best of men, in the best of women. There's greediness. 
and the hand doesn't tantalize anymore. And folks, all of that begins because of what you're thinking in your heart. And folks, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, that the Gentiles, although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. If you're after the praise of men, this is where you'll go. There are no end of cheerleaders for you to follow your heart. The Bible says those who follow their hearts are fools. There's no end of cheerleaders for people to say for you to obey your heart, to do what's right for you. You've got to do what's right for you. No, you've got to do what's right in the sight of God. There will be no end of cheerleaders for you to come and join their group in sensuality. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me the number of people who say, you know what, I think music is indifferent. But then they rail on me because I don't agree with their music. Well, if music is indifferent, why are you bothered by me? Let me listen to my music. Because you're really not indifferent to it. You really want everyone else to come to your own position and listen to what you listen to. That's true in dress. That's true in our media choices. It's true in our entertainment. It's true with our speech. Folks, our society, this is the way our society is walking. This is what we desire to be safe from. This is what the gospel does in the life of someone. It instructs them not to be worldly, but to be godly in this present age. Did you hear that? To be godly is to be different. You won't have their accolades. You won't have them patting you on the back. But they need to see the light of the knowledge through you. They need to have their ignorance blasted away. They need for God to do a creative work inside of them. The God who said, let light be out of darkness. And it can only happen in their lives as we live a life, a walk, that is not like the Gentiles' walk. And to give ourselves to the governing of our own minds. Folks, we are immersed in a sea of sewage. I'm talking about in Christian homes. Every one of us lives in a world of sewage. You say, well, my home isn't like all the other homes. Yeah, but they have a sinful nature. And it doesn't, make, it doesn't matter whether you only got five blots of sewage or whether you're baptized in it. You still got, you're still living in the midst of what? Sewage. And folks, this is not the way you learn Christ. You didn't learn to take the gospel of Christ and use it as an excuse for the indulgence of your flesh. You didn't learn Christ to use some exterior covering to cover over your evil heart.
Christianity is not a tool for you to have your best life now. Christianity is the good news on how you can be saved from all this. And that is good news. May God grant us the grace. Folks, remember, this is not optional. These are words breathed out from the risen Christ Himself. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk in the vanity, the futility of their minds. Let's pray.